How many people here have heard of postsecret.com? A few of you? Anyone heard of the books, the postsecrets? Oh. It's actually a, an interesting website that started in 2005. And what happens is people would actually send in postcards. And on those postcards, they would share a secret that they'd never told anyone ever before. And then the, the, it was basically an art project started as, and it became uh, something where every week you'd post up 10 new postcards and you kind of share people's secrets there. And it was kind of interesting because it was a place where people would share secrets such as like cheating on tests or um, adultery, things like uh, the addictions that they had, um, abuse that they had in their life, or even some forms of violence that might have occurred. And these secrets became uh, kind of strongholds in your life, and they're, and they're kind of sending it out there to kind of finally tell someone. I'll give you an example. Here's, here's a, I can't stop stealing things like this postcard. There's other ones where I'd be a little more honest about the things that they'd stolen. There was, uh, last night I won $5,000 and I didn't tell my girlfriend. She was sitting right beside me. How about this one? I am hesitate about sharing my Christian beliefs for fear of offending others. Oh, that's one that a lot of us could, could resonate with. I'm struggling with an eating disorder. And my parents keep calling me an athlete. I wanted to cut today because of my addiction to shh. I made this card instead. Kind of the first step of sharing a secret but not able to yet confess what it is that they're addicted to. This last one I think kind of sums it up. Secrets weigh so heavy. Thank you for carrying mine. Put that out there. The site has over 775 million views. Millions of secrets have been shared. There has been, sometimes it's been up in like the top 10 websites for young women in the US. Why are people sharing these secrets? Why are they, why are they sending them out there like that? I want to say that they're holding on to something that was inside them that was like eating them alive. And so instead of keeping the dirty details inside themselves, they confessed. In uh, AA, one of the, the lines they use is that you are only as sick as your secrets. It's a way of getting that sickness out. Now, there's been some questions about this, that there's really benefits to it. And the, the, the founder of it, Frank Warren, he said, well, you know what, there's actually something empowering about this for the person who shares. He actually said that there's healing powers for it. There's healing for the person who lets go of their secrets and healing for other people who kind of resonate and, and held similar ones. However, on the other hand, Evan Imber Black, who's a family therapist, is quoted in the USA Today as saying this. Telling secrets has no meaning except in the context of family relationships. We live in a time when people have mistaken the idea that you tell a secret to the multitudes on TV and move on. Mori Povich and those type of things. But opening a secret is just the first step. Posting on post secret might offer some measure of relief, but I'm not sure how long it lasts. When a secret opens, 
it usually takes time and relational work to get a new equilibrium. Telling a secret is a first step. But the healing takes family. It's interesting because when you think about scriptures and this language of confession, there's this sense in which confession becomes one of the ways that we get closer to God. It's one of the ways that we open up, let go of some of the junk that we've been building up, and that as we confess even to other people, we're able to live a more fulfilled life, a happier life in Christ. James 5.16 puts it this way, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The focus on the first part of this verse, on the confession, what I'd like to encourage us all to try to grow in is a habit of confession, a lifestyle of regularly confessing the junk that is building up inside of us, our sin, and letting it out to help us return to that original state in which humanity was built. So we have to begin by asking, what is sin? It's probably one of the least popular words in the modern culture that we walk in. In fact, I, I imagine one of the biggest sins you can do in a public context is to call something a sin. If you say something's a sin, you will be jumped on. And yet the Bible uses the word sin all the time. It talks about this need to let go of and be cleansed and freed from our sins. Sin is the daily dallying with the dark side. It's thinking or living in a manner that goes against our original nature. It's willfully deciding against the ways of God. And you know what? If we really be honest, I think you can admit at its heart, sin is a deep wound inside of us. It is a growing infection. Someone really close to me this week, uh, I talked to on the phone, and they surprisingly told me they'd been in the hospital the weekend before. And what had happened was they were eating something, and as they swallowed it, starting, every time they ate, it got really, really painful to the point where they, could, they couldn't eat anymore. And they were finally... Reluctantly said, oh, I guess I got to go to the hospital. And so they were taken to the hospital. They were surprised at how quickly they got through everything. And then they were actually rushed from the hospital to another hospital. And what had happened was there was a huge abscess in their throat. And the abscess is a sore that's full of pus, the white dead blood cells that are there. And what happened was they, they found out that this, this thing was growing inside their throat for a while. It had gotten quite big. And so what they did was they inserted a needle into it, two needles, and they had to draw it out and filled it up with, I can see your faces. It's gross. It's gross. Sin is gross. It's this thing where it's pulled out twice it got to be pulled out, drained of all this buildup of this gross stuff. And then they had to go in and make two incisions, cut it open, and then scrape the rest out. They were told that it was really lucky, that if they had let it go even a little bit longer, it could have at any time just swollen up to the point where it got to the point where it blocked off their air circulation, and they would have not have been able to breathe, and they would have died of asphyxiation. 
thinking about that. And how much like sin that is. So there's something growing in us. And something, he didn't even know that this was happening. It was growing there. And it was this festering wound that he didn't even recognize was threatening his life. Cutting us off from the breath of God. The other issue was that their body had been dealing with this for a long time, and so their body was actually pretty sick from it. It was weak because this whole time it's been spending fighting this infection. And so little benoes to the person, they're actually quite much weaker and more tired because this was in behind, and this is just like sin in our spiritual lives. Don't even realize the ways in which this infection is hurting us. How many people in our world are being poisoned by sin and they don't know it? Now, I want to just point out, this is not going to be a guilt fest today. What we want to learn is that confession is like a medical intervention for sin. It is a life-saving mechanism to bring health to your body, to your soul, to your spirit. It could be like a daily medicine. If we make confession regular, it's like a daily medicine you take each day to help keep you healthy. But each of us, in order to have this kind of regular habit of confession and be healthy spiritually that way, what we had to have done, each of us, if we, if we really are honest, at some point in our life, we needed actually some surgery, the, the cut, the incision. And that surgery is when we first confess Christ. We confess our sins to Christ, and we allow him to come in and do this overwhelming surgery to remove all this junk, take it out. Now, at some point, there's little shards left, uh, they grow, and we have to continually allow the Spirit to cleanse those out. It's a daily project. But that major work was removed when we accepted the forgiveness of Christ, that surgery. So true confession is always uh, asking forgiveness in Christ. It always is uh, accompanied by conversion. And there's, interesting enough, there's always like a sorrow that happens with it. It's not about just, it's not necessarily an emotion where some people, when they came to Christ, they, they're on their knees weeping. I, I was one of those people when I returned to Christ. Other people are immortal, they just recognize, they, they have a deep regret in their heart. They recognize, like, oh, man, like, I need this. I need this out of my life, and I need the forgiveness of Christ. But everyone needs to confess. This is in Acts 2, 34. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. As we confess, we had this surgical removal of the sin nature. And now we're given this constant medical attention, the ointment of the Holy Spirit that is daily there to help cleanse but we got to take some steps. we got to change the bandages. Now, the main medicine that we take with confession, what's happening, the main medicine we're trying to take daily is forgiveness. The reason we need to have a habit as confession is that you need to receive forgiveness regularly. Yes, you have received forgiveness once and for all, but you need to be able to receive that forgiveness daily. Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall become white as snow. Though they be like red, like crimson, they shall become white as wool. Just imagine when you open up the, the curtains in the morning, and there's just that covering of snow everywhere, it's just pristine. 
That's your heart under the forgiveness of Christ. The problem is that we forget how we look to Christ. And in our own hearts, it gets harder and harder to see ourselves as white as snow until we confess and be freed from those lies of self-condemnation. Now, what we need to do is first and foremost admit that we sin. It says in 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins. Purify us from all unrighteousness. But if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. His word has no place in our lives. If we don't confess our sin, if we don't admit that we have sinned to him, we are calling him a liar. And it is hurting us. It's building. It's letting the junk build up again. It's letting that infection grow in us. There is no forgiveness without the confession of sins. Now listen to this, Proverbs 28, 13. He who conceals his sin does not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them finds mercy. This is the reality. You are forgiven once and for all through the work of Jesus Christ if you accept him. This is another reality. You might not feel very forgiven because you know that you've been sinning. And in order to receive the, the benefit of that forgiveness, you need to confess your sin to relieve that conscience to allow yourself to accept that you're forgiven. Allow yourself to realize the truth of who you are in Jesus Christ. Otherwise, it's self-condemnation. Even in the Old Testament, we see this in Psalm 32, 5. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. If you're a Christian for very long, you probably can admit there's been times in your life when you've had a guilty conscience, when the guilt of your sin has kind of sat on you, even though you know you're forgiven. And the way in which we find release from that is to confess it. And I want to put it out there. In this verse, this, there is a real benefit from confessing to God. But interestingly enough, he's telling us that there's a, there's a benefit from confessing it to one another, to confessing it to another human being. I wonder why that is. What I would say is I think there's an extreme psychological and I would say spiritual healing that takes place when you have publicly excised that wound, when you allow it from the, from the inside to go outward, when you purge it by confessing it with your mouth and you release it out. And it's not just that. The person who's forgiving us is able to speak that back over you, the truth of the reality of your forgiveness. Let's read John 20, 23. If you forgive anyone his sins, they're forgiven. If you don't forgive them, they're not forgiven. Now, I don't want to get too much into the context, but I just want to point out, there's something about you forgiving someone their sins or speaking their forgiveness over them that is very powerful. That can actually change how they view themselves. When I spoke this morning, I had one of our members here come up and speak to me and share a story that when they were young, in the 17 or so, um, they were coming back to Christ, and they 
had this on their heart. They realized that God was just saying like they needed to confess some stuff and they didn't know what to do. They went to their pastor and says, you know, I, I need to confess some things, but I don't want to confess to you. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Find someone that you can trust, someone that you know that will be there for you. And so they went and they found someone. And uh, they, it was uh, someone around their same age, same stage. They sat down for coffee, said, I got to confess something to you. And they confessed it. And the person was like, oh, thank you. And you know, get, uh, allowed them to recognize the forgiveness they had in Christ. And that person said, you know, I had to confess something to you. And they kind of confessed something that they had in their heart. And it was this amazing moment of healing for both people. It was interesting, this other person that they had confessed to eventually had to go back to their family and confess some things to their family. And there was a, like a dramatic moment of familial reconciliation that came out of that. And now that person is now a missionary off sharing the word of God in another country. And I just thought it was amazing. It was from this one person feeling that they had to confess with their mouths to another person that all this train of wonderful work of the Holy Spirit happened. This is the power of us confessing our sins. It's very powerful when someone sits over you like, and says, uh, you are forgiven. There's something about when you, when you confess to God, that's powerful and you are forgiven. But sometimes confessing to someone else helps make it real. I put it that way? To you. When you actually hear it, like, you are forgiven, Tony. You're forgiven to wait. Actually, I, I need this right now. Can you guys all say you are forgiven cereal to me? Amen. Thank you. It's a power that comes in the speaking, the declaration of truth of who you are. You are forgiven. Now, sometimes an entire community has to confess. It can be a small group or a bigger group where things have been done. And we see this in Nehemiah. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying. Before you day and night, for your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. There's times when we have to communally ask for forgiveness. The church might have to do this. I was thinking of uh, a story that I heard a little while ago where um, in uh, World War II, there was a boat of Jewish uh, refugees escaping from Germany that came across the waters, and they came to Canada, and they came here to get away from what was going on, and we denied them access, and we sent them back, and they were slaughtered. And there were some pastors that got together, and they basically said, like, this is only like a decade, or in the last decade or so, said, we, we need to confess this sin. This is, a, this is hanging over Canada, and it's hanging over the church as well. And so there was a public confession of the sin of that moment. That's the same thing for things like what happened for, with the First Nations people. The churches especially had to ask for forgiveness for that, don't they? Because they were the actual sites of some of this abuse that has scarred those communities forever. And churches have to do this, and groups of people have to do this, families have to do this, this confession. Now, confession is both inward and outward. There's a, there's a duality to this, a reality. It has both a divine component and a human component. God gives us the grace to confess through his Holy Spirit and we have to react with that, with our will and confess with our mouths. There's something about speaking it out. Now, I realize not everyone would be able to speak, but somehow getting that out, whether it's through written words or, or however it is. 
Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you are confessed and are saved. What I'd like to suggest to you, I know this is in the context of conversion, but I was, this idea of it is with your mouth that you confess is an important thing to recognize that we need to confess with our mouths and speak this out so that it enters into the sound waves of the physical universe in order to get it from the outward and excise it, help it remove, let the pus out. And that's why it's also good to hear the you are forgiven being pronounced over you. If we do this, there is a promise, there's a reality that confession leads to healing. And this is what confession is. This is why we have a habit of confession. Not to build up guilt, but to build up freedom. We see this in James where he says, if you confess to each other and pray over each other, you may be healed. And I recognize there's a whole question about physical healing and there's a, the, the context of the passage, but there's definitely a component of this idea of the spiritual healing that happens when we confess our sins. Healing is a reality that we can appropriate whenever we allow the sickness to be coming out of us and give it to God and allow him to forgive us. Now, part of confession, we have to be real about this, is it's not just speaking with our mouths. There's also a turning away from sin. To prove it with our deeds in, in 2 Timothy 2.9. Nevertheless, God's solid foundation stands firm, sealed with this inscription. The Lord knows those who are his, and everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. The reality is, we can't go into something sinning on purpose, going, oh, I'll just ask for forgiveness. Have you done that? Like, uh, I'll just ask forgiveness later. When we do that, we destroy the reality of the confession and we're only hurting ourselves more. Now, I understand that there will be many times when we confess something and then we have to confess it again, have to confess it again and keep bringing it to him. And that's important because sometimes what happens, I've seen this before, where people fall into a sin, they've broken it, they confess it, it's gone away and it's been gone for years, decades even. And then it comes back. And they're like, ah. And it's really easy at that moment to go, I give up. This is who I am. I can't defeat it. But really what we need to do is get back up, confess, and be released from it. It does not have that power over us. We are freed. We see in Acts 26, 20, a great demonstration of the ways to confess with uh, not just our mouths, but with our actions. First, those in Damascus... Then to those in Jerusalem and all of Judea and also the Gentiles, I preach that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. And here's a way to do it. By giving restitution. Acts 19, 18. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas, 50,000 days wages. And in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. 
You notice what happened here? They didn't just confess of their sorcery. They had to burn these very precious scrolls. So sometimes we need to do restitution. We have to make amends. The reality of confession is that we've got to make this right. We've got to change something. We might be going to talk to someone that we've hurt, if it helps them. I know in AA they have these steps, right? And some of them is to write down all of the things you've done wrong to others, and then you have someone else. Basically, you confess them to someone else, which is interesting. It's part of the AA program. And then another part is, if you can, if it's not going to hurt them, you go back to those people and you confess to them and apologize. We need to make sure that part of our process of our, our Christian habit, a way of being, is that we examine ourselves. That we are looking regularly into our lives, making a habit of looking for sin. Not to hurt ourselves and, and beat ourselves up, but to help cleanse ourselves and free ourselves. It says in, in 2 Corinthians 3, 15, 13, 5, sorry, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. This is a very interesting passage. Now, I do believe that once you accept Christ for real, you are saved, you are saved for good. But we need to always examine ourselves, to be looking where the sin is in our lives, to make sure that he is able to, through the Spirit, to come and to cleanse that from us, get a daily shower, daily cleansing from that stuff within us. So this kind of leads to uh, an idea of confession. I know a lot of, uh, when you hear the word confession, we often think, immediately go to the idea of the confession booth, like the Catholic Church, right? And that can either kind of repel us. I gotta say, that's one thing I think the Catholic Church kind of got right, is the idea that you need to publicly, or you need to vocally express your sin and confess it. Now, I, I don't think that you need to go to uh, you know, someone with superpowers that are able to say, oh, you're forgiven. I think, I think we need to go to people that we trust. I don't think it's any special person. You don't need to go to a pastor. But we need to be confessing our sin. And there's three things that come with this. The first one is the examine of conscience. Make it a daily habit. Maybe when you're going to bed, or maybe journal. I know a lot of people are really good at journaling. Ways to kind of look through your life and look for your parts. like, God, where, where am I day today? Did I miss something? Where did I go a little off? And then bring it to him, confess it, and be cleansed from that. So it's examining your conscience. And then there's that sorrow we talked about, this idea of like truly realizing like you, that that was wrong. I need, to, I need to make that right. It doesn't have to be emotion and weeping and a self-hurting. It needs to be something where it's like, no, this is wrong. And a, a deep regret of like, yeah, I got to make this right. And then the third thing is to, to determine I am going to avoid this thing. And if we make this part of our regular habits, this becomes a transformative spiritual practice that allows us to live with a conscience that's free. Now, We've got to put a couple things in place to help you if you're going to create this habit. First of all, who do you confess to? Could I suggest, again, it doesn't need to be a pastor or anyone, you know, that you'd say, oh, there's this person up here, which, by the way, we're not. You've got to confess to someone that you trust. I put this, you've got to trust them, and they need to be wise. You need to know that they're a wise person because you're making yourself vulnerable. 
I have a, a friend, a pastor friend in, in Toronto that when we meet, we, we try to do this together. Confess, so I have someone I can meet with. I trust him. I know that um, there's no kind of power differentials of like th- them using this against me or it was just like as an honest relationship. I trust his counsel and we can be there for each other. And it's been beautiful. I'd say be careful with family members. Family members have just complicated relationships and things that can, can make it more difficult. Be careful with colleagues at work, in places where there might be temptations for them to, to use this information? or Because there are dangers to confession, and I, I want to confess the dangers of confession. The first one is abuse. Abuse by others. I've heard this before, where someone shares some deep personal things in their life, and then it's shared. And this person gets crushed. I mean, this is, this is the reason to leave the church, Right? what people do sometimes. It's like, I can't trust anyone. This is a deadly sin of gossip, which is a, a difficult sin in the church. We have to be very careful. So when you're confessing, make sure that you can trust them and not allow it to be used against you. Another danger for confession is it can just normalize sin. Kind of like, oh, I'm all right. You're all right. Oh, good. It's all good. I've seen this before with uh, some men I, I was talking to who had kind of like accountability groups for pornography. And they kind of, they ended up turning into just kind of like, yeah, I did this week too. Oh, me too. Me too. Me too. And everyone's like, oh, we all did it. Oh, well, it's okay. And it kind of normalizes. like, oh, it's, it's normal. And what I would say is if you want to have accountability in an area like that, um, instead of making it a group that affirms or an affirmation of contamination, find someone who's defeated that area. Because, by the way, these things can be defeated. Find someone who has succeeded. And then with them, walk through this area. Another area that we can have difficulties with confession is what I said before. I call it uh, self-condemnation or self-flagellation. You know those guys who used to whip themselves, beat their bodies? It can very easily, confession can turn into this time where you're just hating yourself, calling yourself names, lying to yourself. Doing, basically, you're doing the work of the devil. He's the accuser. And you just end up accusing yourself. This cannot turn into one of those things. This confession has to be the time of allowing this to, to go to God and then be freed. It needs to be confessed. And I would say this, self-hatred is itself a sin that needs to be confessed. If you hate yourself, and if you're condemning yourself, you need to confess, God, I'm sorry that I'm not looking and allowing you to show me who I am in your eyes. I'm not accepting that I am a beautiful child of God. Instead, I am calling myself all these names. Confess that sin and be freed. And the fourth thing I'd say that could be a danger of confession is that it can kind of become routine and lose its effectiveness. One of the, one of the problems with confession is it become ineffective. Can, because you're just doing it so often, it kind of becomes a habit that you're not really, it's not real. Anything can become like that, right? Um, another way it can become ineffective is if you're not honest I remember a tragic story of some great ministry leaders I know, and um, they had an accountability group. They met weekly. And it turned out, it came to the attention of one of them, who's a great Christian man, who um, that the other person had been committing adultery the whole time. It was like after a year, year and a half of accountability every week. One of the problems is if you're not honest, it's not going to help. 
right? And so I saw this, uh, basically, uh, I was talking to someone the other day, and they were talking about this idea of uh, sometimes we need to get to the source early, right? If this person had confessed early on and said, you know what, like, I'm having this temptation. I met this person, and we're starting to, they're starting to talk to me, and I'm worried that this is going to be inappropriate. If they had opened up with that early on, they could have missed this entire divorce and the difficulties that went with it. And of course, God can forgive and heal. And, uh, but I'm just saying, confession that's going to be real and helpful is going to be confession where we're honest with each other. So, in the spirit of the sermon, I have something to confess. Um, it's probably something you've heard before, so I don't, you're kind of like, oh. But that's kind of the point also. I have been, when I, when I talk to God, he keeps putting out my heart that I have not been treating my body like the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I need to confess it again. It's on my heart. It's one of those things like you can go, ah, whatever. That's your sin. But when I examine my conscience, it's there. I feel that sorrow. I'm not respecting this ingenious biological machinery that God has given me. And you know what? The Bible has a word for it. It's called gluttony. It is a sin. And it might not be that big a deal to other people, but it's been on my heart. And so I'm making a determination to do things. And I did get that Y membership, and I went and did laps one day, and probably not as many as I need to. And I, I didn't go and buy myself chips this week. <laughs> Thank you. However, uh, my mother-in-law did buy a lot of ice cream, and that was about <laughs> You know what I'm realizing? This is going to take time. It's taking time. But I need to take the time. Right? It's this thing that God to keep on my heart. And I'm not going to just go, oh, whatever, and let it go, because that's, that's the problem. This is, I, I need to be real with this. And so I'm admitting it. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep my conscience clean before God. I keep bringing it back to him. When I fall, I get back up, and that's what I need to do. This is why we need to confess. It removes the stress. It makes us hate ourselves and others less. Ever find yourself hating the person that has these sinful things in their life that are exactly your own? It's like almost, it hits you and you, you, you can't look at yourself, so you get mad at it. Post-secret, uh, Frank Warren, who, who started, he had this interesting quote I, I thought was very interesting. Sometimes when we think we are keeping a secret, that secret is actually keeping us. So let's not keep secret sins anymore. Let them out into the light. Air the dirty laundry. Allow the, the fresh smell to come back. It reminds me of a, the kitchen you ever get that kind of weird smell coming up from the drain? Confession is like that snake that the plumber puts in there and removes that from the trap or, or that corrosive chemical stuff you pour down there and it eats it away and then it cleans up and then ah, oh, it smells clean again. This is what confession can be like in our life, a purifying, beautifying aspect of reality. And so I entreat, confession is not admitting defeat. It is not a retreat. It is resetting your heart to the divine drummer's beat. I want to call up Jonathan and the worship team. 
We talked about communal confession, and so we're going to take a time to have a little bit of communal confession, and then we're going to move into a little time of personal confession before we receive the forgiveness of Christ.